Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Luke 17, 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church today. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we approach this passage of Scripture, Lord, we marvel at the encounter that these men had with the incarnate Son of God. We marvel at the way that these ten men came away changed. But we marvel especially at the way in which one of these ten men came away changed. May we all come away changed in the way this man was changed through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. May all of us know not just the temporal blessings of Christ, but the eternal blessings of relationship with Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Imagine being born in the year 1900. When you were 14, World War I begins, and it ends when you're 18, with 22 million people dead. Shortly after that, a world pandemic, the Spanish flu kills another 50 million people. You go out alive and free, and, and you're 20 years old. Then at the age of 29, you survive the global economic crisis that started the at the collapse of the New York Stock Exchange, causing inflation, unemployment, and hunger. Nazis come to power when you're 33. You're 39 when World War II begins, and it ends when you're 45. During the Holocaust, 6 million Jews die. Then when you are 52, Sorry, 60 million died during, the, 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 during that Second World War. When you're 52, the Korean War begins. When you're 64, the Vietnam War begins and ends when you're 75. Now, a baby who was born in 1985 have no idea how hard life is. Have no idea how hard his grandparents had struggled, at least in this culture. A boy who is born in 1995 is 26 today. He believes that the end of the world has come when his package from Amazon takes more than three days to arrive. He doesn't have more than 15 likes for his posted photo on Facebook or Instagram. Now many of us live in comfort, having access to various sources of entertainment at home and, and often more than we need. But people complain about everything. They have electricity, phone, food, hot water, and a roof over their heads. But none of this existed for many prior, and for many even still around the world. But humanity survived more, much more serious circumstances and never lost the joy of life. So maybe it's time to stop being selfish and to stop whining and crying. A friend posted that on Facebook last week, and I, I really thought it would be a, a fitting introduction to this sermon. Many people feel entitled in this culture. And it's not just the attitude of millennials. People tend to feel that the world owes them something. If They tend to feel that God owes them something. 
When they get what they want, they aren't thankful because they feel like they deserve it. And when they don't get what they want, they throw a temper tantrum. I've said this many times, but but strong emotions like anger and anxiety are, are diagnostic. Anger and, and anxiety are often attempts for us to control a situation and to protect our idols. So when you feel angry about something, and, and there is a case for, for righteous anger, but personally, I don't know if I've ever experienced or displayed righteous anger. When we feel anger, when we, we, when we feel anxiety, What's happening is we're, we're trying to control something. And it's our idols. The things that we love are being exposed. The things that we love more than God. Remember, one definition of an idol is things that we will sin to get and sin when we don't get. So what happens when you get your idol? What happens when you, when you get what you want? Do you stop and you give thanks to God? You know, we try to teach our, our children to be thankful. We try to m- remind ourselves to be thankful. First Thessalonians 6, uh, 68, 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I believe the ultimate reason for entitlement and, and why it's so pervasive is that most people, most people, don't need what they want, and don't want what they need, right? Most people don't need what they want and don't want what they need. Do you need what you want? Do you want what you need? What do you really need? Well, this morning we're going to meet some people who, who didn't need what they wanted and didn't want what they need. This central section of, of Luke's gospel account began back in chapter 9, 51, with, with Jesus turning towards Jerusalem. And it ends with his arrival in Jerusalem and the, the trampal entry in Luke 19, 27. Well, this section began with Jesus rejected at a Samaritan village and will end with him being accepted in Jerusalem. That acceptance will be short-lived. Because Jesus is going, as he's going to arrive with, with shouts of, a blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest from his disciples. Even the, the crowds are, are going to rejoice, crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But these shouts are going to be replaced by shouts of crucify him. Just one week hence. Well, the cries of the lepers in our passage this morning will go from Jesus, Master, have mercy on us to a different silence. Only one is going to display the appropriate response to Jesus. Only one of them is going to turn to Jesus. Only one of them will find Jesus. Only one of them will be found by Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. And so this passage continues what we saw at the beginning of chapter 17, the, the, the highlight of the call for faith. All of these men believed that Jesus could help them, but only one has real faith. Only one of them has saving faith. Only one of them knows what he really needs, and only one of them will receive what he really needs. There are three main scenes in this passage in verses 11 to 19. Verses 11 to 14, we see 10 lepers healed. In verses 15 and 16, we see that one leper returns. And then in 17 to 19, we see that only one leper was saved. So this passage shows us the generosity of Jesus to bless, the proper response to him for his blessings, and the results of that response. So first of all, then, 10 lepers healed, verses 11 to 14. Verse 11 begins with a mile marker, but but not just a geographical mile marker. As Luke mentions that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, 
passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So we have three locations mentioned. Each one of them is pregnant with meaning. Jerusalem is, is Jesus' destination. The, the city has hung ominously on the horizon since back in Luke 9, 51. In fact, all the way through Jesus' ministry, but especially when he, he intentionally set his face towards Jerusalem. But as we've seen, this, this passage, this, this journey takes a long time. It's, it's really only would have been a week's journey, less than that. But Jesus is taking several months to get there. Jerusalem is, is the place where Jesus is going to be crucified. But as such, it's also the place where he's going to fulfill the divine plan of redemption through his death and his resurrection. Samaria remember, was Jesus' first stop along the way as he turns towards Jerusalem. And, and remember that, that with that first stop, he was rejected in the Samaritan village. And the disciples had wanted him to call down, well, actually, wanted, they wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy the village. But Jesus rebuked them. And then Galilee, as we know, was where Jesus' ministry began where he revealed himself as the Christ, as the anointed one who would proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. And, and he, he did that predominantly in Galilee through, through powerful proclamation and through miraculous healing. Well, now we see once again Jesus revealing who he is through proclamation and through miracle. Now again, we said that, that Jesus was in this region several months ago. He's already been to Samaria. So he seems to be taking a rather circuitous route to Jerusalem. But he's now stepped into the, the normal route for pilgrims as the Passover approaches, as the time of his crucifixion approaches, as, as he is the Passover lamb. He has now stepped into the, the, the path of pilgrims as they would travel throughout the region on to Jerusalem. And so his path takes him once again into the environs of Samaria. And as he's here, he has a divine appointment. He has an appointment here to heal. But more than that, he has an appointment to save. And so as Jesus enters this Samaritan village, he's met by ten lepers. And as I was talking to the children, today leprosy is, is considered, it refers to Hansen's disease which it's caused by a chronic bacterial infection. It results in, in disfiguring sores on the skin and severe damage to the nerves that, that can necessitate amputation. Now, Hansen's disease is, is not as contagious as once thought, but, but leprosy in the Bible, and while it may include Hansen's disease, it actually includes, uh, includes a broad range of skin diseases, and some of which were very contagious and also defiguring and also could lead to death. And according to Mosaic cleanliness laws, the, the infected person was an outcast, completely quarantined, cut off from society, cut off from their family, cut off from temple worship. And if another person was to approach, they were to, to call out, unclean, unclean, so the person could be warned to, to, to remove themselves, to get away, otherwise they could also be infected. Imagine being cut off from family. Imagine being cut off from corporate worship, unable to, to hug your wife, to hold your children, to go to the house of God. It, it would have been a miserable existence with, with no hope that it would ever end. And these ten lepers, in, in compliance with the Calvinist laws, stand at a distance from Jesus and cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They recognize Jesus, and so they call him by his name, and they call him by his title. Only Luke uses this word that's translated master. These lepers recognize Jesus' authority in terms of his power to perform miracles. And it's also a, a, an acknowledgement and a recognition of his authority over them. And that he can help them. And so they call out to him for mercy. 
but will they recognize their ultimate need for mercy? They, they don't ask for healing specifically, but obviously healing is what they're looking for. Again, Jesus' reputation would have preceded and they would, they would have known that he's healed many already and, and he's even healed lepers. He's even raised people from the dead. Well, earlier in Luke 17, we, we heard the, the apostles ask Jesus to increase their faith. And remember that Jesus responded that if, if they had faith like a little tiny mustard seed, they could command a mulberry bush to, to transplant itself in the ocean. Remember, we, we discussed then the, the issue that the, the problem wasn't that they needed more faith, but that they needed the right kind of faith. They needed the right kind of faith. The focus is not a faith in faith. It's having right faith, which means focus on the right object of your faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. Now, if you have a problem, Calling out to Jesus is a really, really good idea. Some of us, and I know at times myself, we'll, we will we'll go to God in prayer only after we've exhausted every other avenue. When we, we've done, done everything we can, and then we'll pray. Well, what does that reveal? It reveals self-reliance. It, it reveals that, that God is like a, a, a last port of call. Only when I'm so desperate, it, it, it reveals that I don't believe that, that I need God for everything. For everything. And, and for all of my, my true needs. So we, we, but, but at times when we, we get to that point, we finally realize, oh yeah, I should have gone to God for this. And, and so we, we call out to Jesus in prayer. Like these lepers, we know we have a problem and we know that Jesus can help. Now, faith should lead to prayer. Jonathan Edwards says that the prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. He said man is at his greatest and the highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. But before a person can pray anything else, before he could ever really pray, your prayer must begin with, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And this is not a a cry for for felt needs. Now, so often we we hear these these so-called gospel invitations that are are really just appealing to men's felt needs. The whole system of of the prosperity gospel is based on felt needs. Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants to be comfortable and healthy and all these things. But it doesn't address the real need, the real ultimate spiritual need the sinner must recognize his or her condition. Now we'll see whether these lepers recognize theirs. Have you known, do you know your spiritual condition such that you will cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me? Because that's not a one-off prayer you pray back there. This is a prayer we need to continually pray. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. That we need Jesus, like the song says, I need thee every hour. I need thee every minute, every second. Your condition, apart from Christ, was infinitely worse than leprosy. A leper's uncleanness only goes skin deep. But the uncleanness of an unbeliever goes to the heart, goes to the very core of one's being. The unbeliever must recognize his or her own guilt and helplessness, the real spiritual need. It's far more important than any physical need. As Jesus sees these lepers, he tells them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, these men would have already been to visit a priest. 
According to Leviticus 13 and 14, a priest would have served as the the local health inspector. In the case of leprosy, the, the, the person who thought they were infected would go to the priest and the priest would examine them and confirm or confirm they had leprosy and then would say, you need to go right away. You need to leave the community. You need to go outside of the city limits. You can't say goodbye to your family. You need to go and go now. Or in some cases, the leper would find it was just, it, the, the so-called leper would find it was just temporary and, and it would be, would be restored. But these men had already been to the priest. Their, their leprosy has already been confirmed. But now Jesus is sending them back to the priest. Notice he hasn't healed them yet. He's saying, go, go now, go to the priest. He, Jesus had done the same thing and back in Luke chapter 5. After he had, had healed the leper, he, he sent him back to the priest to perform the, the proper sacrifices. Again, this is discussed in Leviticus 14, 4-6. Now, it's, it seems odd to us, doesn't it, that, that even as Jesus is, is about to fulfill the, the sacrificial system in his own body with his crucifixion, he sends these men who, who aren't yet cleansed. But then as they go, they are cleansed. As they, they begin to make their way back to the priests, they are cleansed. Jesus has healed them of their horrible disease. At Jesus' command, these lepers were healed. Jesus has once again revealed himself to be the anointed one of Luke 4, 18 and 19 in the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. Again, he's the one who came to, to proclaim good news to the poor and to provide liberty to the captives and the oppressed. Through the power of Jesus Christ, these lepers are no longer lepers. They're no longer unclean. They're restored to society. They're restored to their families. They'd be able to go to the temple. Their lives, at the word of Jesus, had been radically changed. But that's the last we hear from them. That's it. They're done. Out of the story. They they received these, these material blessings from Jesus, and as amazing as they were, they were blessings. They're done. These men, all of them, died. And from all we can tell, unless they repented at some later date, they, they all of them ended up in a Christless eternity. It's the last we hear. Except for one. Except for one. One leper returns. Verses 15 and 16. One of the lepers, upon the realization of, of what has happened to them, did something different from the other nine. He, he, he looked down to see his hands, and the, the spots were gone, the, the sores were gone, the pain was gone. His skin had been restored. But while the other nine kept on going, this one didn't wait for the priest's pronouncement. He immediately turned around and gave praise to God with a loud voice. Cried out, praise God. But he wasn't content just to turn around towards Jesus. He returned to Jesus. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. He's the only one out of all ten who are actually giving gratitude to Jesus. And he prostrates himself in, in humble obeisance to Christ. He recognizes that that God is working through Jesus. This whole group of lepers had called Jesus master, but he's the only one on his face at Jesus' feet, showing that he really does believe that, that Jesus is his master. He's the only one showing reverence to Jesus. He's the only one who's truly recognizing Jesus' authority over leprosy and his authority over him. He's the only one who's giving the kind of response that you'd expect. Luke is telling us this, this is the right response. This is the right response to Jesus. 
This is how you should respond to God's mercy. Just put yourself in this situation. And I'm not even just, just, just talking about, about believers here. Put yourself in this situation. If, if there, there are unbelievers in this room, put yourself, even as an unbeliever, in this, in this situation. Imagine if you, you are sick with an excruciatingly painful, contagious, and incurable disease. One minute you're forced to live outside of the city limits. Cut off from your loved ones. Cut off from society altogether. Wrapped in rags. Depending on the, the meager charity of others. And then the next minute, you're free from pain. You're able to return to your loved ones. Just like that. All of the agony that you've been experiencing is over. But what would be the natural response when you realize that it's Jesus who's done it? Said so even as an unbeliever. I think you'd probably say thank you. I hope you'd say thank you. But the reality is, so many don't. So few actually say thank you to Jesus. You realize that if you are alive at this moment, if you are breathing, it is thanks to Jesus. If you had, some of us have gone through very serious health issues. If you are alive, it's, it's thanks to Jesus. As I said so many times, a, a surgeon can make cuts, they can make incisions, but only God can heal. Even if you had just a, a splinter or a, or a cut, the reason why it didn't get infected and you didn't die is because of Jesus. If you have... If, you, if, if you're going to have food on your table, if you're going to have a roof on your head and clothes on your back, it's because of Jesus. But so few actually give thanks. If we're honest, even at times, we as Christians, far too often, even as Christians, we fail to give thanks to Jesus for, for even these, these material blessings that are, are so much smaller than the spiritual blessings we received in Him. We to give thanks. We saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To be a thankful person. Turn please your Bible for a moment to Psalm 107. Um, Psalm 107 uh, verses 17 to 22. Let me just read this one. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of the, their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. As they drew near to the gate of death, they cried to the Lord in time of trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. This reflects Psalm 116 that was read for us earlier in the call to worship. You know, I love this psalm. I've talked about this before, but I remember as a brand new believer, less, less than a, a week old in the Lord, and, and I didn't know anything. I'd, I'd just heard the gospel for the very first time in my life and got saved. And I, I'd, these Funny ideas, I thought that, well, once you get saved, everything is going to be great in your life. And I, I said, I had no idea. But I don't remember what exactly was going on, but I had a really, really hard day. And I, I got home and I just, I sat on my bed and I just opened the Bible and started reading. I happened to open at Psalm 116 and, and I wept. As I realized, I, I had lived this psalm. As... As the writer writes in verse 7, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now I can proclaim, as a Christian, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. If you're a Christian, you can claim that the, proclaim that the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. But even if you're an unbeliever, the Lord has still dealt bountifully with you. He's extended common grace to you. And it's just appropriate, it's just right to give thanks to him. This one former leper is held up as an example of the proper response to Jesus. 
And then comes the punchline at the end of verse 16. Then comes the unexpected. No, he was a Samaritan. You can almost hear the, the gasp from his disciples at this, as this former leper, this Samaritan leper, falls down at the feet of Jesus. Now, it's not like Jesus, like Luke has not given us a hint that this was coming. All through Luke's gospel account, we, we've seen how Jesus ministers to the outsider, to women, to, to children, to the poor, to the blind, to lepers, to prostitutes. Jesus has been ministering to the outsider. And few could be more on the outside than a Samaritan leper. Remember, Luke has also included the account of, of Jesus' rebuke of the disciples for wanting to destroy the Samaritans at the rejection of him. He included the, the parable of the good Samaritan in which a Samaritan shows mercy to a, to a, a beaten traveler while a priest and a Levite left him to die. And Luke has just told us that, that, that Jesus was on the border of Samaria. And so we should expect that something's coming. Now, again, we, we tend to think of the, about this from, from modern day Western perspectives. But, but think about what this would have been like to hear, to, res, to respond to, to, to witness from a first century Jew. This was shocking. It was shocking. Again, remember how the disciples felt about the Samaritans. They, they, wanted the, Jesus, they wanted to call down fire from heaven. They hated the Samaritans. And their, their attitude reflected that of the whole nation. The, the Jews hated Samaritans for intermarrying with foreigners. The Jews hated the Samaritans for, for trying to hinder the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem after the exile. The Jews hated the Samaritans for their syncretistic religion as a, a blend of, of Judaism and paganism. The Jews hated the Samaritans and, and considered them separate from the promises of God. But this Samaritan was the only one who responded rightly to Jesus. Again, this Samaritan is presented as an example. And in this one incident, Jesus is correcting wrong understandings about ritual purity, wrong understandings about ethnicity, and wrong understandings about who could approach Jesus. So finally, one leper saved, verses 17 to 19. Now Jesus speaks directly to this Samaritan former leper. He asks a series of, of rhetorical questions to highlight the inappropriate reaction of the other nine former lepers. Didn't I cleanse 10 of you? Where's the other nine? Why didn't they return to me? Why aren't they here with you? Why aren't they praising God? Why aren't they giving thanks? Why is it that a foreigner is the only one who's responding rightly to me? Now, some of us, as we hear this account, we, we might be surprised at the, the healing of the Samaritan. But maybe you're surprised at the healing of those who are unthankful. Maybe you think they, they don't deserve healing. They don't. But before we, we deal with ingratitude, ask yourself, how do you respond when somebody's unthankful to you? You, you? you strive to serve someone, but they can't even be bothered to say thank you. But Jesus tells us in Luke 6.35 that God is kind to the ungrateful. God is kind to the ungrateful. And so we should, by God's grace, seek to be kind to the ungrateful too, remembering that far too often we are unthankful ourselves. Again, think about all that you've received from God. And again, for the moment, I'm just talking about material blessings. Just talking about physical things like, like food and water and air and, and physical healing. Things like shelter and clothing. 
And again, all these things come to you from the hand of God. You might say, well, I am thankful for these things. You know, we, we sit down as a family and we, we, we give thanks to God for the food before we, before we eat. Maybe in this part of your regular prayer, it's, it's Thanksgiving is, is a regular part of your, uh, of your prayer to the Lord. But is there anybody in your life that you haven't talked to about the glory of God? Is there anyone in your life that, that you have, have withheld the proclamation of the glory of God to? I think if we're honest, the answer is going to be yes. And the failure to proclaim the glory of God is really a sign of, of a lack of gratitude to God for who he is and all that he's done. Maybe you and I are more like the other nine lepers than we like to think. You and I forget to give thanks. Again, can you think of times that, that you have, have received answers to, to desperate prayer and, and then when the prayers have been answered, you just quickly move on, just forgetting what God's done. And I've done that. I'm pretty sure you have as well. I wonder, do, do you have a sense of entitlement like the, like the millennials are characterized as having? Do you feel like you deserve to be treated a certain way by others? Do you feel like you deserve to be treated a certain way by God? Stop and remember what you really deserve. What you really deserve is what I really deserve. It's the eternal punishment of God, the wrath of God poured out on us for all eternity. That's what we deserve. If we get anything better than that, we should be thankful. And we get so much more than that. Remember what you already have. Are you a thankful person? Would, would others describe you as a thankful person? A few questions here you can ask yourself. Am I more prone to seeing what's wrong with a person or a situation or what's right? Am I more likely to criticize someone or to encourage them? Are my prayers more full of, of petitions of asking for what I want than they are of praise and thanksgiving? Am I more aware of what I want or of what I have? A lack of seeing what's right, a, a failure to encourage others, a failure to praise God for what you have. It's, it's all, they're all signs of a need for growth in thanksgiving. And so ask God to make you more thankful. Ask God to make you a thankful person. I remember many years ago, as I was, I remember like it was yesterday, as I, it wasn't yesterday, but I, but I remember like it was yesterday, I was, I was doing my devotions and, and I was convicted for the fact of, of my lack of thanksgiving. This is the time, it was back when I was, when I was single and I just so wanted to be married. And I've been single for a long time at that point. I would have been pushing 40 at that point. I was convicted by, by the Lord of my lack of thanksgiving. And, and by God's grace, I repented. God, please forgive me. I've, you've, you've given me so much. Please make me a thankful person. No, I didn't receive a lightning bolt, and that's probably what I deserve. But gradually, over the course of months, it's, I didn't even realize what happened. I was like, hang on a second. I'm more thankful than I was. God has done a work in my heart through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, it wasn't that I, I drummed up thanksgiving in my heart. Yes, I had to, by God's grace, preach these things to myself. But, but God had made the change with the power of the Holy Spirit in my heart, making me a more thankful person. Now, I am far from the standard of thankfulness. I'm just saying that God has answered that prayer. And God will answer that prayer for you. God, God has continued to answer that prayer for me, and he will do that same for you. Ask God to make you more thankful, and he will. But again, praise God that he is kind to the ungrateful. Even in our 
our lack of thanksgiving. God is, is kind to us and because even the best of us are still, compared to what we should be, in the way we should be thankful, we're still unthankful. We thank God for Jesus Christ, who is perfectly thankful, and his perfect gratitude, if you're in Christ, his perfect gratitude has been credited to your account. Be thankful for that, too. Return to God in prayer, not being anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. I've just talked about all of these things. I haven't mentioned salvation yet. The climax of our passage comes in verse 19. Where Jesus tells this Samaritan, former leper, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is commending him in no uncertain terms that he was right to praise God. He's right, he's right to thank Jesus. And Jesus is commending him for his faith. Now this last phrase is, is translated in most English translations, something along the lines of, of your faith has made you well. Now, I believe that, that a better translation would be your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. In fact, very likely in your Bible, you have a footnote that says that, that your faith has saved you. The, the word that's translated made you well is, is the same word that, that can be translated saved. And in the context, I, I, I think this, is, this bears out that, that he's talking about salvation. They've all, in a sense, been made well. The other, all 10 of them have been made well. But only one of them is commended for his faith. So only one of them is actually saved. Jesus is emphasizing his faith in contrast to that of the other nine. Again, they've all been healed, but only one has been saved. Through faith, this Samaritan former leper has experienced salvation. He has witnessed, he has recognized the coming of the king. We're going to talk about the coming of the king in the, the, the latter half, when we, next week when we get to, to the second half of, of Luke 17. This, this Samaritan is the only one who has received the full effect of Jesus' mercy. They all asked for it. But only this Samaritan received the full measure of God's mercy in Christ Jesus. He's the only one who entered into relationship with God through Christ Jesus. God is kind to the ungrateful, yes. But if those who do not respond to him at all will not receive his full blessing. Or miraculously, only those, only those who have truly responded to Jesus or those who have received the full extent of God's blessing because they receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. You can experience God's common grace and still never experience or receive his saving grace. You can respond. Is your response to Jesus one of faith or are you content with receiving blessings from Jesus without receiving him? At the beginning of this passage, the, the ten lepers were far away from Jesus. At the end, nine of them are still far away from Jesus. But only one of them came to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet. The nine were restored to society. The one was restored to Jesus. Come to Jesus, not just to get the blessing, but to get Jesus himself. The sovereign mercy and grace of God and faithful response to God by a former outsider is being proclaimed in this passage. This former outsider, this former very 
outsider is now on the inside, while many of those who claim to be on the inside are still on the outside and will remain on the outside. The door will be closed to them and they'll be on the outside for all eternity. And so here in this, this, this final leg of, of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, as his earthly ministry is drawing to a close, we'll see that, that only those who respond to Jesus in faith will understand his role as, as king or will enter into his kingdom. And it's the outsiders again and again. Unexpectedly, this, this Samaritan shows this kind of faith. Likewise, in the, the coming chapters, a, a widow, little children, a blind beggar, two tax collectors, the thief on the cross, they're all outcasts, but Jesus welcomes them in. And in their response, we see who Jesus is. He is the master. He is the son of David. He is the Lord. So the question is left hanging for the disciples and for us. How will you respond to this Jesus? Will you respond with this kind of faith? Will you be like the rich young ruler we're going to meet shortly? We wanted what he had. Didn't want what he needed. The outsiders are going to be inside, but those who are the selfish and the self-righteous will find themselves on the outside. I've seen this story played out countless times. People who want what Jesus can give. People who are very content with a little bit of Jesus. But when it comes to turning to him in faith, and repentance, man, they walk away. But I've also seen countless times those who were outsiders, those who were, were living their lives in, in sin and, and rejection of God, but when the grace of God came near, went through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about you. When you encountered the grace of God through Christ Jesus, by his grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, you repented and you turned away from your sin and put your faith in him that you were not content with the little Jesus. You want all of Jesus. And by God's grace, you're, you're growing. The more you know Jesus, the more you want Jesus. That you're never going to be satisfied. That even in heaven, you're going to want more and more and more of Jesus. This is the hope to which we were saved. Our greatest treasure, our greatest blessing is not, is not just what Jesus can, can do for us temporarily. It's not, it's not just that, or temporarily. It's not just what he, what he, what he does to, to meet our, our felt needs. It's in giving us himself. Again, this passage shows us the generosity of Jesus to bless, shows us the proper response to Jesus for his blessings and the, the glorious blessings, glorious response, or the glorious blessings rather of that response. This Samaritan leper is no longer a leper. He's still a Samaritan. But far more than that, he is a child of God. This unclean man is no longer unclean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And this, this miracle is a parable. Again, it shows us who Jesus is. Again, from Luke 14, 8, 4, 18 and 19, the fulfillment of Isaiah. He's, he is proclaiming good news to the poor. He's, he's delivering the captives. Have you ever felt like an outcast? Maybe some of you feel that way now. An outcast from from your neighbors, an outcast from those at work or those at school, an outcast from even your own family. Have you ever felt like a leper? And it's not like just 
the middle of COVID, walking into a superstore and having a big coughing fit and everybody backing away from you. It's people who don't like you because you love Jesus. Jesus experienced that. Jesus came into this sinful world. This, this, this whole world is a, a spiritual leper colony. And Jesus entered into this world to save you. You and I were defiled not just with, with leprosy. That's nothing compared to the defilement that we had. It was We're defiled with sin that, that penetrated and permeated every aspect of our lives. Jesus has made us clean. Now some of us here are still spiritual lepers. They might be, you might be accepted by the world, but are you rejecting Jesus? Are you actually on the outside, maybe even thinking that you're on the inside? A friend, Jesus is kind even to the ungrateful. Jesus is loving and compassionate. Jesus can cleanse your soul. Come to him. Come to him for the cleansing that only he can give. Fellow Christians, you and I, again, we're spiritual lepers. We, we were infected by the spiritual leprosy and we were infecting others with our spiritual leprosy. We were radically unclean before the holy God. And Jesus has made us clean. Let us be thankful for all that we've received in Christ Jesus and for all that we will receive in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, remind us, I pray, especially of the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ. Lord, the blessings received are far greater even than salvation. Not just what we were saved from, but what we were saved to. Because Lord Jesus, we've been saved into fellowship with you. Lord Jesus, you are, are our greatest treasure. Remind us, I pray, Help us, Lord, to ground our lives, consciously ground our lives in who you are and all that you've done to effect our salvation for the glory of your name.